Hello, welcome to the Scotch and Smokes podcast. My name is Brian. Seth is here as well. And so is Jesse. And this is episode number 12 of our fan podcast about Mad Men. You can find us on the web at madcast.net and also on Facebook if you look up Scotch and Smokes podcast and also on iTunes. So swing on by and leave a message about Mad Men, the show, the series, whatever you thought of this particular season or a particular episode. We'd love to hear from you. This is going to discuss the final episode of Season 5, The Phantom. Mm -hmm. This entire time I have neglected to say we would not do any spoilers, but at this point there's no spoilers at all to give because they are the end of the season and they're not in production at the moment. So I guess we could speculate all we want, however. So how were you feeling, not about this episode, but as you were about to watch it, did you feel they had to do a certain thing to make you happy and did they achieve it or did they surprise you in any way? Yeah, I think we kind of predicted it, and I think Matt Weiner even said in a, in an interview he did in the Times that this was going to be not as fun an episode or lively an episode, perhaps. But there were some good payoffs. They kind of wrapped up a few uh, different storylines. Peggy came in. We saw something of Lane's wife, so that was kind of cool. But there's still a lot of things up in the air, and of course, maybe the biggest conundrum of them all was left for the very end. You know, will Don be faithful? And we don't know. Yeah, I did not have a lot of expectations for the episode. And when I say that, it isn't that I didn't think it would be good. It's just I was not searching, okay, they need to give me the final five. I need Mm -hmm. to know what the smoke monster is. You know, I need to know who killed JR. What is uh, Rosebud? I just was... (laughs) Can I have done enough cliches there in that little statement? That was pretty good, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I wanted just to have another hour or so with these characters and see where the next steps in the journey was. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I think some people online were a little let down somehow that it didn't match the intensity or the emotional punch of some of the previous episodes. But again, I kind of expected it this way. At this point, what they're doing is tying up some themes that they had done over the course of the season and in a minimal way, but a very real way, also setting up for the future. And we'll talk about that at the end as well. Well, you know, to those people, Brian, who were disappointed with the last episode, I mean, I would say, you know, shame on you for not listening to the Scotch and Smokes podcast where we (laughs) totally, totally said that that was going to be the case. Right, exactly. That episode was going to be a little bit of a less action, let's put it that way. I don't want to say it was a downer. I don't think it was. I mean, I think there were some payoffs, but there was certainly less action, sure. I mean, you know, you can't have somebody hanging themselves every week, can you? Although we got to talk to a character who had hanged himself. So, uh, you know, we got a little bit of deep throat in this episode. You mentioned that, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but it does make you hope that, at least for me, that Adam is not going to be like a recurring type of phantom because then it turns into six feet under to me. Mm -hmm. I I don't want them to have him there as like the conscience of Don all the time. But let's go ahead and jump into the episode. And I think the first thing that was a little bit of a surprise was the return of Beth and that she suddenly mm. was back on the scene. And not only that she ran into Pete again, but then that she wanted to see him again. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not entirely a coincidence that she's going into the city. She has a purpose for that. And it's a kind of an odd reason, kind of a tragic one, really, yes. to to think yeah. about it. So what did you think of that setup? Well, yeah, no, of course, it was very, very sad. And I guess I was thinking of, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and how the main character in that 
play ends up kind of lobotomized, basically. I mean, I don't think Beth wasn't lobotomized, but she was certainly taking electroshock therapy there. And later in the episode, Pete comes to visit her, and she doesn't even know who he is. It's rough stuff. I really was surprised when she showed up again. I loved Pete trying to be a hard-ass like, oh, so now you want to talk to me, but then so desperate to get out of the partner's meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that line. Don, you have my proxy. And Don looks, we can do that? We do that, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Skipping ahead, I have read there has been criticism that this season has been too literal, that it's yeah. imagery and that its storylines have been too literal and that they want a more subtle or subtler, was that a word? But I loved Pete's vulnerability of talking about his quote-unquote friend with her Uh and talking about it. I thought that scene worked really well. I thought that that was well done, Mad Men, of kind of weaving that story in Mm. and having it a really good conclusion. I agree, because for me, that was sort of a nice inverted way of doing the device that I often say that they use of bringing in the secondary character to say something profound. I thought in this instance, what they did was they brought in a secondary character, which was Beth. And instead of her having something to say, she doesn't because she doesn't remember anything. She's an empty vessel, basically. And on the show, the main characters talk to each other, but they don't really talk to each other. They get around things and they don't really say things. It's only when these secondary characters come along that like they reveal things that they really feel or there's hints about what they really yearn for. And in this instance, she was there kind of a blank slate. It's almost like a confession, a confessional for him. Yes. And he and he then creates this parable or story about this guy, which is him, and I think lays it out as basic as it can be about what he wishes for or what is wrong with him and which really is wrong with everybody on the show all the things that they want they can't get them if they do get them the thing they wanted was just a cover for what they don't have and it was just it was brilliant i just thought that's it i mean that's that covers him and that covers dawn that covers all a whole bunch of characters so in a way for me that was like the scene of the episode because it just presented everything yeah but isn't that again sort of what the complaints have been which is they're hitting us over the head with the themes of the show they're not being subtle well i think there's plenty of subtlety and oh there is is. we'll talk about this probably either this episode or our next one which will be our wrap-up episode but i mean there's plenty of subtlety i like to look for things either they're visual or they're just things in dialogue which Mm -hmm. i think it's there if you want to I think you can't build an entire show around that. Maybe the season for some people was too literal. I don't know. Sometimes if you go back and retrospect after you've seen the episode or you've seen what is going to happen to certain characters like Lane, you're like, oh, it's so obvious now. But it wasn't so obvious back then. You know, mm. it was all layering and it occurred in kind of general organic ways. Like I said, that's the way the show is done. I think yeah. sometimes they do just say things very plainly. And I think sure. from the very beginning, the first season, just the way dialogue is written, I think it's a very kind of a 60s cultural way, like oh, the way they, they speak and they talk. And I think absolutely, I think that's part of the show. I don't think that's yeah. just uh, part of the writing. I think it's just part okay. of... Well, I'm, I'm going to be very unsubtle here. So now you just mentioned that we're going to have a podcast, sort of a wrap-up. Taking my cue from Harry Crane and also from Peggy Olsen, are we going to get paid extra for that one? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, you, know. you will get... 
ten percent of what you get for okay. for this. All right. Now, unlike episode. Joan, I am not asking for a piece of the partnership here, but but, okay. but I do well, want to get yeah. data extra. That we are, we are all our partners on the show. So. Well, Absolutely. okay, yeah, that's true. Although you're still missing from our Facebook page, we need to get I know. your icon. Yeah, I, know. I understand there. that. All right, I'm sorry to. Yeah, sorry. About that. Oh, that was funny. Right. I loved, and I thought one of the other things that was great is. You know, they're in bed together in the hotel room. He's talking about going away. You know, she said, we're the same. And and then after listening to him talk, she goes, eh, no, we're not. <laughs> you know, we don't have any of the same thoughts whatsoever. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was really, that was so peatish, right? That he can't even get the fantasy going right. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets beaten up on the train again, so. Yes. Uh. And not once, but the twice. twice. Yeah, the conductor beats him up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was wondering if would they show him learning at least one thing from his experience with Lane and like getting one hit in, but no, he's still completely the loser that gets knocked around and sits there and cries about it afterwards and is surprised that someone actually took offense to his nastiness. Yeah, but he goes up against tougher people, bigger guys, stronger guys, and he doesn't he doesn't back down. I'll give him that. Yeah, that's true. Back so my lovely bride, Linda, was like, how do you not wreck the car? If you're that big base, why is she not asking that question? How's the car doesn't have a scratch on it if you're that beat up? And I said, I am glad I'm not trying to be unfaithful or trying to hide something from you, Linda, uh-huh. because I probably lie as bad as Pete does. Right. Trudy is... Uh the development of Trudy's character hasn't been very strong this season, I have to say. She's been a little bit of an airhead. Do you think she knows what he wants that apartment for? No. I don't think so? No. No, I mean, I think she is Betty Draper number two. I think it's sort of a mirror image. I think they're trying to mirror Don's early career with Pete. I mean, Pete wants the house. I mean, he has the house that Don used to live in, basically. It looks just like the old Draper house. He's got the kids. He's got the adoring wife who doesn't suspect anything. Of course, the one huge difference between her and Betty is Betty is just a shrew, and she's mean, and she's just a awful person and Trudy seems very supportive and she's I mean maybe I don't think they're going to do this I don't think they're going to delve into having her develop some sort of I will follow the same arc as Betty type of thing where after this child and maybe another child then she suddenly becomes resentful that Pete's not around or something. I don't see that happening. I think Betty was that way from the start. I don't think it was just a result of her having kids and, you know, being at home. That's certainly a difference to me. Yeah, I think Trudy loves the house. She is excited about the pool that Pete says it's so permanent. And she goes, that's the whole idea. I think Trudy's going to be okay. I think she has a lot of internal, not that Betty isn't strong, but I think she's satisfied with her where she is in life. Mm. Let's switch to the other spouse. Megan and I know Seth. When we were emailing about setting up for the show, mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you express? What did you say? Something about how she fell from grace of yeah, she sure did. Well, but you know what? I guess I can't complain too much that she kind of you know she totally used Don to get the audition for the commercial. She misused, I guess you could say, the information she got from her friend to get the commercial. So she stepped over her friend to get it. That was not the kind of person we thought she was. 
But on the other hand, we'd probably complain if she were, you know, a white character instead of a black and white character. Right. So, I mean, Matt Weiner is layering this character who, you know, before this was an absolute angel, basically. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Megan jumped over her friend to get that part. And yeah, you know, a lot of people said to me this week, well, yeah, we, we saw that coming. She's ruthless. I, you know, I never saw that. <laughs> I never saw that either. I don't see that she's ruthless. I mean, if the biggest sin she committed this season was, oh, I'm going to backstab my friend a little bit and take her idea to go into Dawn and ask a special favor. Eh, I mean, she didn't on. even know about the commercial, though. Yeah. She didn't know about the commercial. She didn't know she... anything about it. But, I mean, compared to some of the other heinous things that were going on, I don't know. I think she was actually pushed to this. I mean, the way her mother was just, like, telling her, you have to give up this dream, you know, yeah. you're, you're not the as phantom. good. And yeah. she made her feel like she was talentless and had nothing. And I think she was like, you know what? I've been doing this the, quote, right way. I'm going to try it this way just to see if I can get somewhere. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting. We talked a number of weeks ago about the fact that Roger, and Roger said it openly a few times, that, you know, since his father started the business with Bert Cooper and Roger sort of inherited his position and his job, any success that he'll ever have, people will always point to the fact that he was sort of born into it. Mm-hmm. Now with Megan, after she married Don, she became a copywriter. She was very good at it, by the way, as we saw, but everybody expected her to rise up in the company because she's Don's wife. So any success she would have had at Sterling Cooper Draper Price, again, would have been linked to her husband. Now, of course, she gets her first big break, again, through her husband. And so she's kind of set herself up to be in a situation where people can point at her and say, look at that. I think the difference is that now she doesn't care. I think because she tried it the right way, and now she's like, you know what? Partly just to say F you to my mom, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get it, and look what I got. I got a commercial when you said I wouldn't be able to do anything. I really was surprised when she asked Don, and I do think it shows that she would fit in well if she had stayed in the business world, you know, in that cutthroat environment. I thought Don had some decent points, even though perception is he doesn't really want her to be successful. He just is kind of giving lip service to it. I thought you wanted something artistic. The reason people want a commercial is money. You don't need the money. (laughs) And her ideas, and I think you guys said it really well, my mother says I'm a failure. She did not hear, but her mom tells Don, this is what you have when you have the artist personality, right? Temperament without the talent. Which is a horrible thing to say about your daughter. Now, maybe she's just speaking the truth to Don. I just think she has a mean streak in her. Yeah, of course. She's kind of insecure herself and unhappy herself, as we've seen. But if you have a kid who's not, who wants to have an artistic career and doesn't have the talent, isn't it a good thing to tell them that? I think Don's looking at the real. He sees the magic of her on that film. As we're watching, you know, my wife says, God, she is so attractive. And I said, yes, she is. And and so I'm wondering. You shouldn't have agreed so quickly, by the way. Right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You know, you're. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Yeah, If you like the sort of the six foot brunette. Yeah. Okay. I think Don saw the magic on the film and said, this is good for the client as well. And I can make her happy. 
So, yeah, you know, I'm not sure what he thought. I mean, he looked at that film, he looked awfully sad to me. He looked awfully depressed. Yeah, I think he looked at it as an ad man, and he realized this is a great image for the product, but I think he also looked at it and said, God, this is my wife, and I'm going to lose her to a career. And it was something that, it's funny, it's something that his first wife, or actually his second wife, Betty was his second wife, also was very good at, too. I mean, she got into that Coke modeling commercial, again, you know, kind of a roundabout way, of course. I mean, there was a guy who was trying to recruit Don to their firm, but Don initially hated the idea and was happy at when it ended. In fact, he kind of ended it. So here's his third wife, also, ironically, being lured into a television commercial. That's kind of interesting. To kind of jump to one of the highlights in the episode for me is when Don meets Peggy. Oh, yeah. Great. And for the first time, they're peers. Mm -hmm. And he is kind of getting her a hard time, harassing her. And he says, I'm proud of you. But before that, he says the statement, well, you know, that's what happens when you help someone, they leave you. (laughs) which ties to megan right he's helping megan and don believes that and and so when he's helping megan i think in his mind this is the first step toward us not being together i don't think it has to be but in his mind you know it's black or white on or off right yeah Uh, you're right i think you know he does see it as a black and white thing where now i think he sees things as not being what he wants. He told Megan many times, like, I need you at the office. It's not the same there. Now with her off doing her own thing. And I think somehow a switch turned on him and he's, I guess we'll see for sure, but it sounds like next season he's going to somewhat revert to his old ways. So Mm, maybe, well, one thing I did notice that happened was the time passed quite a bit since the previous episode. The reel that Megan had was dated March 20th, 67. So if we jump from when it was wintertime when Lane killed himself. And this is, it's Easter time because that's why her mom was there is she wanted to spend Easter with her daughter because her husband's an atheist. Right. So now we're, now we're in springtime since the reel was done in end of March. Maybe we're now in April. They've covered a fair bit of territory. They went through a whole year, basically, this season. So they have two seasons left. I guess they're going to, I mean, I guess conceivably they could end before the 70s. That's a whole other discussion. Like, how does the show end? You know, not the season, but the whole show. And like, you know, mm. do they end it like in the 70s? Does Don have a last scene where he's like in the 80s and he's like doing the Morning in America commercial? So as long as we're on Don, of course, the episode title is Phantom. Phantom was brought up literally when Megan's mother spoke it. There was a few times when the phone was ringing and there was like a yeah, no. breathing on the other end. And mm. that in a way was like a phantom. When Of course, it turned mm. out to be Roger. That was kind of a... So the phantom that Don sees is his half-brother, Adam. Adam Whitman, yeah. He has, at some point, this, again, Six Feet Under-esque dialogue with him at the dentist office. Right. We're talking about literal. I mean, we talked about it last time, that Lane hung himself, and then that's been brought up, that his half-brother had hung himself as well. And this time, they they made sure that you knew that and brought it up again quite distinctly. Obviously, Don's feeling a responsibility for Lane, and his Lane's wife really gave it to him. I wanted to talk a little bit about how you thought they handled Lane's death. We were about 20 minutes into the episode, and Linda looked over at me and said, they're ignoring Lane's death. They aren't even talking about it. 
And I said, no, remember when they talked about the office and they said you didn't want it? That's Lane's office they're talking about. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. And I said, and notice in the partners meeting, they had the empty chair. And Joan goes, well, I think I have to be prudent. I have to talk about it. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess they are. I said, they are not going to say his name, but I think he will be in all episode. Do you guys think they handled Lane's showing the effect to the team well? Yeah, I think so, because, again, time passed. I originally thought that they would have this episode follow pretty quickly with the last one, but they chose to have it occur either several weeks or even a month or a couple months after, and they wouldn't be talking about it all the time at that point. They wouldn't have people just still moping around. I mean, they're obviously still affected. Joan is still affected. You can see it on her face. Yeah, I thought it was very unfortunate because Lane never talked to his wife. He never told her what was going on. The point I'd been making so many times in these podcasts is that the difference between, one of the big differences between Megan's relationship with Don and Betty's relationship with Don was that Megan knew Don in the office office, whereas Betty didn't. Megan knew all his tricks. She knew him as a businessman, and Betty didn't. Lane's wife didn't know him as a businessman. She had no idea. She had no idea what her husband had done. Don didn't tell her. And so she's she's looking to blame somebody. You know, she has to blame her husband, but she doesn't want to. She doesn't even know to do that. So I thought it was very, very sad. I mean, I guess Don could have said, well, you know, your husband embezzled from the company, and that's why he killed himself, but um, he didn't. I really loved the payoff of the picture of the girl that we had seen at the beginning of the season, you know, that he had stole from the guy's wallet. Oh, and she's, yeah, who yeah, is yeah, this? Yeah. And Don Righteous, yeah. like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, well, and he sure throws. doesn't. He doesn't have yeah. any idea. I thought that was a really nice payoff to that yeah. scene earlier. Yeah, you're right. So she was totally, totally in the cloud on that one. One thing I did not pick up immediately was that there was a reference from Megan's friend about redheads get the part. Adam was a redhead, mm-hmm. and Lane. Although he's gone kind of white, he Uh actually does have red hair also. And I wonder if that was not something that they probably were not thinking of when they first cast this guy. (laughs) Uh, But it does fit a nice symmetry that Don's half-brother had red hair. Mm. Lane also redheaded. You have to mention Joan at this point, don't you? And Joan, yeah. Joan, of course. To me, sort of the whole payoff of this episode came at the very end with that whole sequence where they're walking through the new office and sort of that image of the five of them standing there looking out to the future kind of reminded me of a little bit of 2001 A Space Odyssey where you had the astronauts sort of walking on the looking at that monolith and looking ahead. It was just a beautifully filmed scene in Mad Men and also in 2001. But there was Joan right in the middle in that red, I think she was wearing a red dress and swaggering as she is wont to do and looking very, very alluring. And then the end and seeing all the, how different people were handling things. You know, Peggy was sort of happy that she got to travel on her job. She's sitting in a hotel in, I think, in Virginia somewhere. Pete is sitting at home with the headphones on, listening to music. Roger is bearing his all to New York City. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's Don sitting in the bar. In the bar. Yeah, a lonely Don. And then, of course, two women look at him. And I mean, to me, I thought he looked 
awful the whole episode he just looked he looked terrible he looked terrible and i think he meant to he looked old he looked slow and i think he was trying to do that i think john ham was trying to emphasize that he is older and he is slower and and megan is young and beautiful and energetic and he's not hmm. even though he's still <laughs> relatively young yeah. Speaking about the shot you were mentioning with them all looking out under the cityscape, mm. you know, that was a really, really nice shot. It brought, for me, thoughts of one theme of this episode of there being lightness and darkness. And that was the light was coming in. There are several bits of dialogue where they're talked about sunshine. And even Trudy, I think, at some point said to Pete, you should get some sun. Mm. And we've been talking about it now several episodes and almost the whole season about the light and the dark and who's in the brightly lit and happy places and who's in the dark and unhappy places. And I thought it was telling that at the very end of the episode, Megan is lit. She is in technicolor. She's almost Disney-esque looking, you know, she's got mm -hmm. all these people attending to her. She has like her <laughs> hand gesturing in a certain way and she's looking up and light is falling onto her face. Mm -hmm. And Don turns on his heel and walks and enters the dark. And he goes basically into darkness. And then he goes almost in monochromatic. I kept the check. It almost seemed like his last scenes were almost black and white. I think that's all the color was sucked out of it. But he's at the bar. It's dark. It's like I said, it's very monochromatic. There's no color there. I think that was kind of telling that he's just reached a, a dark place. Whereas Megan has entered a happy sunlit place and he's totally not. I think the other image they're trying to push the shot of the partners, the space between them mm. to show that they are not together, which is mm -hmm. to go back to Bert's, this is my business, and that everyone walking in different directions and them not being on a team. Now, obviously, something must be going right because, as Joan kept saying, I, every day I open up the mail and there's even more money. Mm. I think it's interesting we don't find out what happened with Dow, but something is going right with the company that they are, you know, they had their best quarter, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Ever. But the partners are not on the same page. They are all different. I agree with you, too, the light and the dark, Brian, mm. and Joan kind of in the middle. I am excited about next season with her as a partner full time. I think that could give us some really good storylines. Yeah. So could Pete's apartment in New York City. Oh, yeah. Well, that's another <laughs> thing to look forward to. Some of the things I liked about this episode, you mentioned the photo that was brought back from the first episode of the season. Yeah. I liked how they did that. I liked that they brought up the death benefit. There's a couple episodes ago where Pete was talking to his insurance guy, Beth's husband, and they're talking about the death benefit. He had brought it up, and that was sort of like a little payoff mm. to that little conversation. There's Lane's wife was saying how her mother was coming in, and that was kind of a mirror to... Megan's mother coming in. There's two mothers coming into town. And you mentioned Peggy traveling. That, that was a good callback to when yeah. Don went to L.A. And, you know, he's saying, I'm going on the plane. And she said, I've never been on a plane. Right. And so when she said, I get to fly on a plane, I mean, that was very important for her. And it, yeah, some people might not remember that, but that yeah. was a big deal for her because she was selected not to go. But Pete was. I was pleased, and I had forgotten that Peggy talking about not flying on a plane. You forget, or at least I do that there are people, even today, I guess, that have never flown, but flight is much more common now. The idea that she's going on a business trip, that she's, you know, looks out the window and sees the two dogs performing, and then she's sitting on her bed with her wine in the hotel glass, and she's just 
the top of the world. This Holiday Inn slash whatever, Ramada, whatever she's at, could have been the Hilton in New York City as far as she's concerned. I mean, she is just mm-hmm. ecstatic that she is on a business trip and she is there. Yeah. Which is funny because I almost could have seen it the other way where she got excited that she's going on a plane. But then it turns out to be just, well, you're not going to L.A., you're going to Virginia. <laughs> it's not like you're, it's not like it's like across the country. And you end up in this one hotel and it's not like a great four star. And you look out the window and you see some dogs doing it. But she was happy about it. I think that was very telling because when you look at it from an outside perspective, it's really kind of shitty. I mean, it was just not a great business travel trip. But for her, she's like, wow, I finally got to fly. I finally got to stay in a hotel. And I just looked out and saw this odd thing. But whatever, I'm going to sit here and, you know, I'm happy. And, you know, if you talk to anyone who doesn't travel for business, they will think about, God, it'd be great. That sounds wonderful. And then you talk to someone who starts traveling a lot for work. That's true. And they just go, oh, this is just a royal pain. I really was not only excited about Peggy being so happy, but I liked Ginsburg kind of throwing a fit too. Like, you know, I'm tired of this dynamic. And you can tell they're really missing Peggy at the office. Mm Mm-hmm. And of course, Peggy is missing competency of her own and her own expertise. <laughs> yeah, I think they're, they're I think they're all finding that yeah. it isn't perfect no matter where you go or who you're with or right. there's going to be some conflict. And whether that was just to illustrate that point just for this episode or we'll see if that carries to next season where there's still overall dissatisfaction with the way things are working either at her agency or at Don's agency. We'll see how that plays out. And I also like the scene with her boss. I can't remember his name. Seth, you're always great at names. um, Yeah, he goes, you know, you're a woman who smokes. You're our audience. I don't smoke. Yes, you do. You know? (laughs) So I assume Peggy is going to come over with you've come a long way, baby, right? Yeah, right. Mm. For the Virginia Slims? Because that's what that's got to be. Probably, Which, in a way, that's that's what she has done. She's come a long way. I mean, she started off as secretary, and now she's the copy director. Uh, What was your favorite line of the episode? Mine was Roger saying, what is Regina? (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) How about you, Seth? Megan says to Don about her acting career, quote, you want to be somebody's discovery, not somebody's wife. Mm. That was my favorite line. Mm. Now, you know what I wanted to just point out before we end this uh, episode and uh, this uh, podcast? That this was the highest rated finale in Mad Men history. The season was also the highest rated season. It was, uh, And the numbers are unfortunately pretty low. The season averaged 2.6 million viewers, and that is up 14%, 15% rather, from last Last season, season four. This last episode was the highest rated finale in Mad Men history. It's got what they call a 2.0 in terms of ratings. And if you know much about the TV business, and you realize 2.0 is not a very high rating. It's, it's not bad. I mean, for, for cable, let me rephrase that. For cable, it's not bad. So they said about 2.7 million people watched this episode. About 3 million people downloaded um, Game of Thrones illegally, by the way. So more people are downloading illegally Game of Thrones than are watching Mad Men. So 
another podcast that I listened to, tuning into Sci-Fi TV podcast. One of their co-hosts, Brent, talked about that AMC's Walking Dead mm-hmm. lows the ratings away of yes, Mad Men. It does. And he's arguing, AMC, you know, Walking Dead is your signature show. Not Breaking Bad, not Mad Men, but creatively, though, it's viewed differently. It isn't no just ratings. I mean, I understand it's not the highest rated show. I think a lot of people are aware of the show. It's become part of the cultural zeitgeist. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and so I, I think people are aware of it. And I'm encouraged that it got the best ratings yeah. season because that yeah. just means not that they weren't going to get more seasons anyway, but it, ultimately what makes me happy about it is that it means they're going to be more quality shows like it being mm-hmm. made in the future. On cable. On cable. On cable. We are. Or because on the Because on broadcast with 2 million viewers, you would be canceled. Right. I mean, You'd be forget- canceled yeah. within an episode or two, you would get, and that's right. it. 2 million viewers on broadcast is puny. Yeah. It's puny. But any time a show that is a quality show can succeed... Mm-hmm. Even if it's the metric of, oh, well, it's just on cable, fine, whatever. It's succeeding as far as I'm concerned. And that, to me, is encouraging because that means there will be more shows like it in the future, at least made. Whether they will stay on the air, the TV gods determine that. But Sure. And advertising, actually, and advertising. determines it, too. <laughs> yes. um, it's, it's kind of ironic we're having this discussion about a show about advertising. But, you know, the sad thing is, in terms of cable ratings, that usually the top rated shows during the football season is ESPN's Monday Night Football. And during the rest of the season, most of the time, the top rated show is, on cable, unfortunately, wrestling. (laughs) I mean, by far. All right. So as we mentioned, we will have another episode coming up where we will wrap up the season talk about what we think might be coming around in the next season, some of our favorite scenes, some of our favorite lines. And maybe I will relate my Mad Men story from when I went to Los Angeles as well, as I promised Mm. several episodes ago. Okay. Just a little teaser there. Cool. So in the meantime, you can find us on the web at madcast.net and also on Facebook if you look up Scotch and Smokes, also on iTunes. So thanks again for subscribing and listening to us this season. Until the next time, the bar is open. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.